At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Again, thank you all so, so much for being here this morning to celebrate together. I want you to think about the last time you went to start a new habit. We have all kinds of habits that we start, don't we? You know, some of you, you've heard the freshman 15 at college. Some of you got the COVID-15 going on, right? And so you're like, I need a new habit. I'm going to start running for Team Woodside. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to run for the orphans. It's going to be great. And that's what you're going to do. Others, you're like, what I want to do is drink water. I want to hydrate. The doctor says it'll be good for me. So I'm going to start to drink one of those big bottles at lunch every day. And some of you, you want a new habit. So you're thinking, I need to not hit snooze seven times in the morning. That's the habit I'm going to do. Others, you're like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my bed in the morning. I saw that little video on Facebook with the Navy SEAL and make your bed. And I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to make my bed. So we have these habits. Well, because I'm because I'm a nerd, I wanted to find out, because we've all heard that 21-day thing, like 21 days for a new habit. I want to give credit. And so I'm like, I'm going to look this up, and I'm going to find out who was it that did that research to come up with that 21-day number. And I've actually got a name for you. The year was 1960, and it was a plastic surgeon named Maxwell Maltz. And he made that up, y'all. <laughs> he did. There was no research. He just goes... I looked around, and based on what I see from my patients, that seemed like a good number. And so I actually used that. So, of course, researchers got together. This was peer-reviewed in the European Journal of Social Psychology. They found that the real-life number is 66 because they're like, it might take like 10 days for water. It might take like 200 days for something more complicated. 66 is the actual average that it takes to develop a new habit, which doesn't even matter. Like, that's not even what we're talking about. What matters is it's intentional, right? Habits don't happen accidentally. You got to be intentional in creating healthy habits, which we're starting this brand new series today called Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World. I am so pumped about this series, but it's only three weeks. This is a three-week long series. Now, let me explain this series because it's pretty cool. We took 12 of our campus pastors. And what we did is we each took one discipline, what we've called spiritual disciplines, right? We each took one discipline and we wrote a sermon for that discipline. And so every campus, this is going to blow your mind. Every campus this morning is preaching on a whole different discipline. And then over the next two weeks, well, well I think we're all preaching different because here's the deal. This is the one I wrote because 4th of July weekend, someone to make life easier on me. So I thought if I start with what I already wrote, if I, because I did the notes for this one, that makes the job a lot easier to get the sermon ready for today, right? And so I imagine that's what most guys are doing this morning. But anyway, we're all getting to choose three out of the 12 for this series. Isn't that kind of cool? So like if you go on Facebook this morning, you're going to see everyone doing something a little bit different uh, through these next couple of weeks. So we will be covering three out of the 12 over the next couple of weeks. Today's topic though, today's topic is kind of ironic because of what today is. You see, we love our fireworks, don't we? 
And we like the scene in Braveheart where he paints his face blue and, you know, yells freedom. We like that. We like that Goonies never die. We like that. We, we have a little pep in our step that we're the nation that dumped the tea into the harbor. You know, we kind of like that, don't we? We like that. We like characters like Han Solo, Katniss Everdeen, Ferris Bueller. We like as a nation rebels with a cause, don't we? We do. And so this topic of submission is one that we struggle with. Let's take our Bibles and let's open up to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 34 through 38 this morning as we look at this big idea that you must lose your life to save it. You must lose your life to save it. As you're turning there, one other quick thing. Some of you, you panicked a little bit when I said we're only going to cover three out of the 12 because you're going, but that means there's like nine more out there somewhere that I don't get to hear. Just relax. Here's what we're doing. We're going to take all 12 of those and we're combining them together to make some life group material for the back to school season. So come back to school season. If your life group wants to, you can start to work through all 12 of them. We're working on putting some curriculum together. So that's coming. Let's have a working definition of submission before we jump in this morning. Submission is a voluntary yielding to the power, authority, or desire of another. Of course, as Christians, that submission should go to God. So it's where we intentionally, on purpose, submit to the authority of God. The Greek word for submit is the word hypotasso. And what that means is it's where you intentionally yield to and come under another. Anyone who's ever been around the military, in the military, you've seen a picture of this. You know what this is. You see, if you're in the room and there's an officer who comes in who outranks you, you immediately yield and come under that officer, don't you? You immediately come right underneath them. That's hypotasis, where you intentionally yield to and come under another. The big idea, you must lose your life to save it. So in the text today, we're going to see what happens when we submit to Jesus. It's going to require us to submit in three unique ways. The first is... You have to follow the way of the cross. You have to follow the way of the cross. Look at verse 34. We're going to read the whole text to start. Then we'll examine it together. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Mark writes this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now this passage is happening right after Jesus is in the region of Caesarea Philippi with the disciples. And as he enters the region, people are chit-chatting, right? Hey, there's Jesus right over there. There's Jesus. Yeah, who's Jesus? Oh, you know, some people think he's, he's John the Baptist or I don't know, maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's just a really smart teacher. I don't know who he is. And so Jesus hears this chit-chat. And the disciples, there's telling Jesus, Jesus, people are talking about you. And finally, he looks at the disciples and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And we see this great confession from Peter as he says, you are the Christ. He's saying to Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. 
You're the rescuer. You're the one that we've been waiting on. But real fast, Jesus knows we're not talking about the same thing. Because he's like, yeah, I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting on. But what you think you've been waiting on and who I am are two different things. You see, the Jewish people, they thought we were going to have this political leader come. This political leader that would unite all the people. The people were divided. Rome had invaded. They were holding Israel hostage. They thought maybe there's going to be this political leader who's going to come in and right the wrongs that are are happening. Or a military leader. You know, on the big white horse, hat in hand, George Washington kind of painting going on, right? Maybe, Maybe that's going to happen. There's going to be this military leader who's going to come in and just whoop Rome. Just whoop them. You know, get Rome right out of here. Maybe that's what's going to happen. That's why Jesus then in verse 31, he starts to launch into teaching about the way of the cross. Here's what he says. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Jesus taught that the Messiah isn't a military leader or a political leader, that he's the suffering servant who came to take on the sins of the world. And when Peter heard this, man, he got mad. He started to correct Jesus. He started to rebuke Jesus, which it reminds me of like a mom with a toddler. Have you ever seen a mom with a toddler? You know, where mom's trying to corral the toddler and and she's like, no, 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 you don't run out in the street. The cars will squish you like a bug. And it's when the little toddler turns around and points up to mom and says, you know, mama, you know, you've seen kids do that, right? That's what Peter's doing with Jesus. And Jesus calls him the devil. And that's a whole different thing. And we'll do that sermon on a different day. But Jesus like straightens him up and is like, you're totally out of line. And then it says, and calling the crowd Calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is awesome. Because this shows how patient Jesus is with us right here. Here's what I mean. I want you to think about your parents when you were growing up, what your parents were like. Maybe they were a lot like TV parents. TV parents of the 80s. Like in the 80s, TV parents were the kind of parents that when the kid would go, Dad, why, why are we doing this? Why does it have to be that way? The dad would look at the child so lovingly and turn his head slightly and probably take a knee so his eye level with the child and say, I'm so glad that you asked. Let me stop and explain to you Why? That's not what life was like in my house. No, my house, my dad would say, son, are you out of your ever-living mind? I can't believe you would ask me that question. Boy, you better get out of here before I have, I mean, that was more like my dad, right? You probably had something in between, probably something in between this. But Jesus, Jesus responds so differently. I love what Piper points out. He says, Jesus didn't say, just do it. I told you come after me. I told you follow me. I told you deny yourself. Don't ask for reasons or motives. Just do it. Jesus didn't do that. He he could have. Right? Jesus could have just laid down the law right here. But instead, he gives us these four four statements. These four F-O-R statements. Look what he says. He says, for whoever would save his life. For what does it profit 
for what can a man give? For whoever is ashamed. Jesus says, do you want reasons on why submit? Here's a reason. Here's a reason. I don't want you to miss this. Here's another reason. If that was enough, I got you one more reason. Isn't that incredible? The patience of Jesus to stop and to walk us through why we surrender, why we submit for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Why is it we push back against that? You know what I think happens? I think that there comes a point in our lives where we realize that the Lord is there and that he is good and he came to save and rescue us. And so we throw our hands open, don't we? And we say, I surrender everything to you as Lord and Savior. This is the line right here, no turning back. All to Jesus, I surrender. We have that moment where we surrender everything to him. And from that moment to this moment, what do we do? We keep trying to take it back, don't we? We keep trying just bit by bit saying, well, I mean, I do surrender, just not this one area. I do surrender, but not that area. That's what we do. We keep trying to take it back. And Jesus says that whoever would save his life will lose it. It's a daily habit, church. It's not just something you did one time long ago where you surrendered your life to Christ and now you've got that submission thing down. This is a daily habit. It's a daily surrender, which brings us to the second point, that we need to die to the ways of the world. We have to die to the ways of the world. Look at verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? And so, of course, the key word there is soul. What, what does it mean by soul? Well, it's the Greek word psyche, which is more than just your physical being. It's the personhood of who you are that's not bound by space and time. That's your soul. Your soul is, is eternal. Your, your soul is going to go on long after your physical body dies. And so it says, what does it profit if you gain the whole world? Gain the whole world. Okay, imagine you won the lottery. Imagine you won the lottery of all lotteries, like you won the big dog, like you, you won, like you really won. And so you're like, what truck do I want? I'm going to pay. I get whatever truck I want. I can get it. What boat do I want? How many people at a time do I want to take? I can have that boat. I can have whatever boat I want, right? What house do I want? I can live in whatever house I want. Like I literally can do anything I want to do. He says, what good is it if you gain the whole world? But lose your soul. Jesus is showing that when it comes to eternity, that is so foolish to surrender your soul for the temporary things of this world. So foolish. And then he goes on to say there's so many people that try to hang on to their souls. You really don't grasp the value of your soul to begin with if that's what you're doing. If you're trying to hold on to it for yourself and the ways of the world, you don't grasp the scope of eternity. This is the call Jesus is giving to the disciples for him to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord of your life. We are supposed to follow him of who it was said all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. He's the one who shows us this heart of humility. Just listen to Philippians chapter 2. It says that Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became an obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the ways of the world, they take us to the opposite place of this. The way of the world is going to lead you to a place of selfishness. Now, you'll be very self-absorbed. It's going to be about you and what you're entitled to and what you deserve. That's the way of the world. Watch all the wars going on within the world, all the fights that people are having, all the arguments they're having. It's all self-motivated and self-driven. Every bit of it. Imagine you found your dream job. Whatever your dream job is, you landed that job out of college, out of high school. Right now, you got that dream job. It's yours. You expect going in, there's certain things you got to do. You got to do the reports no one wants to do. You're the newbie. That's what you have to do. You might have to sweep the floors. You might have to empty the trash cans. You're going to have to get there early or stay late. You might have to buy donuts on Wednesday, right? You might, that's why you run with Team Woodside. That's why you do that. So you're getting the donuts on Wednesday and, and you're do, you expect all that. You're new. Here's a struggle 20 years later. If we fast forward a couple decades, some of you, this is going to get real personal. If we fast forward a couple decades, all of a sudden you don't like it if you're the person who has to come in early, do you? Or if you have to lock up and stay, or if you have to take out the trash, what? I don't want to take out the trash. I've been here 20 years. I shouldn't have to do that anymore. I should be above that. That's the way of the world. That's a trap we fall into, isn't it? It happens just like that. It's so sneaky how it starts to permeate our lives. And yet, that's not the way of the world. We're supposed to die to the ways of the world. Jesus teaches us we have to die to the way of the world. So I want to I show you another scene. Just a few moments ago, we took communion together. And I talked about that Thursday evening that Jesus gathered with the disciples. That he prayed with them. He talked about how he was the vine and we're the branches. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for us on that evening this was less than 24 hours before he'd be crucified. Listen to John chapter 13, verses 3 through 8. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now you do not understand. But afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Peter again, he tries to correct Jesus. It never works, right? Maybe instead of saying, follow the ways of the world, we should be saying, follow the ways of Peter. Because Peter struggled with this, didn't he? Lord, I surrender everything. I recognize you as the Messiah. Now I'm going to take it back and I'm going to tell you how it's got to be. Jesus shows us he didn't just submit to God the Father. He didn't just submit to his earthly parents. He didn't just submit to the governmental authorities. Look at how he's treating those who are under him. These are the men who called Jesus teacher. These are the men who called Jesus rabbi. These are the men who called Jesus Lord. And what did he do in this moment? He got down on his hands and knees and he washed 
their feet to show an example of how we are supposed to submit to one to another. Can I tell you what's the most heartbreaking thing in the world to me? This, this honestly, this grieves me. I expect when I go onto Twitter, don't ever go onto Twitter, but I expect when I go on there that people are going to be saying, well, you're dumb if you like the Euro Cup and you like soccer. That's not a real sport. You know, here's basketball or baseball or football because these America, you know, this is how we do it. Who even watches soccer? <laughs> They're not most of the world, you know. And um, people are just so mean about how they talk to each other on there. I, I expect that. I do. You're a Republican. You're a Democrat. You know, and I, ex- I expect, I do, I expect that. But here's what grieves me. It's when I see Christians following that. Let me be more specific. When I see our church interacting like that, when I see people I know and I care about and I love getting onto that digital space and just slicing and dicing each other, being critical of each other, being critical of the church, being critical... I, I, I really don't like it because I think it's so opposite of what the Lord calls us to. He calls us to love one another, to submit to one another, to lift one another up. So here's what I should be doing. I should be finding where do y'all have a hurt and what can I do to help heal that hurt? I want to point the way to Jesus. Like how, how do I do that? When you're weeping, how do I weep with you? That's where I want to be. When you're celebrating because you've had something incredible happen in life, I want to celebrate with you. I want to cheer you on. I want to tell you how awesome that accomplishment is. I, I want to be right there. That wedding, I want to celebrate that wedding, right? I want to be right there. The birth of that new baby, I want to be there. That baptism, I want to be there. That's what we see. We see this picture where it's the opposite of self absorb this is about me and mine what I'm entitled to and what I deserve and what I'm owed and you see this incredible posture of submission that we're supposed to follow a final thing that we're going to see is we unashamedly find new life in Christ look at verse 38 for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels Peter's response at Caesarea Philippi, you're the Christ. Church, it changed everything. Because it said this isn't just an intellectual exercise. This isn't as easy as, um, yeah, I think that's true. Check, move on. Nope, this is an all-in mentality. This is a process where you say, I'm going to submit, which means I'm going to bring my life under the lordship of Jesus. Right? I'm going to surrender everything to him. But you know what we often do? We start there, and then we start to dabble over here, and we start to dabble over there. Here's what one theologian said about this section. Again, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Here's what he says. The first century, being ashamed of Jesus and his words had a particular reference to denying him in the time of persecution. This idea can be applied to other situations. The background of the expression adulterous generation is from the Old Testament, more specifically with Hosea and Gomer and the picture of unfaithful Israel. Which I'll come back to Hosea and Gomer in just a moment. The reality is persecution. We, most of us, we're not worried about persecution. Are we? Not really. We're, we're not. I, I'm not concerned today. I don't know what will happen in 15 years. Like, I don't, I don't know. But today, 
I'm not worried about ending church and getting in my car and having to go past a roadblock where they're going to arrest me and put me in prison and whip me because I preach the gospel. I'm, I'm not concerned about that. That's not my worry. But you know what should be a concern for us? Is that daily dying to ourselves. That daily submission, that daily surrender to the Lord. That's that place that we have to watch. Now, this Hosea and Gomer reference. Hosea and Gomer. Hosea, I've talked about this before. Many of you know the story. Some of you, this may be new information. Uh, Hosea is this Old Testament prophet. Kind of like, like a preacher, right? And Hosea was married to a woman named Gomer, which is so mean. Like, to name your daughter Gomer, that is so mean. Anyway, Hosea is married to Gomer, and Gomer has a faithfulness problem, which we get, don't we? Nod your heads like this, because we do. We get it. Some of you struggle with faithfulness with your finances. You just, it's hard for you to trust God with that first fruits, you know? And some of you, it's your service, and you struggle with being faithful in your service because you're going, I'm busy. I'm always busy. And so serving at work, serving your neighbor, serving at church, that's just a hard thing for you. For some of you, you struggle with faithfulness when things are going well. You don't like to admit it, but when things are going well, you tend to go, yeah, helping hand I'm looking for right there. I did such a good job. I worked hard. I persevered. I did it. I'm amazing. You know, and you want to take all the credit for it. For some of you, that's not the struggle. You're very quick to give God the credit for all the grace he's poured out on your life. That's when things are hard. When things are hard, man, you get mad at God. You get so angry. And the last thing you want to hear is someone you care about near you telling you how to, how, how to have faith. It makes you so mad. So when things aren't going well, you struggle with faithfulness. Well, with Gomer, her struggle was the faithfulness and the fidelity of marriage. She kept cheating on Hosea again and again and again. He'd, he'd keep forgiving her. But we get to see, it's beautiful, we get to see this conversation between Hosea and the Lord. As Hosea says, Lord, I am so mad. I am so angry with what she's doing. Lord, she deserves to be punished. There's got to be something. How many times until I give up? And the Lord's like, no, Hosea, just be faithful. Be patient with your wife. She's your wife. Just be patient. All right, Lord, I'll be patient. And then the Lord goes, Hosea, let me tell you about Israel. Israel's been so unfaithful. She keeps cheating again and again and again. She's supposed to have no other gods before me. Talk about idol worship. They're their own idols. They keep worshiping themselves. They keep, they keep worshiping other gods. I'm so mad. Hosea, I'm so mad. She deserves to be punished. Israel deserves to be punished. I'm about, I'm about done with Israel. No, God, you can't do that. You know, Hosea is very quick to say, you need to be patient, Lord. You need to be so patient with Israel. Like, no, she deserves a second chance or 15, 16 chance, whatever. You know, more chances, God. And story comes to a point as Gomer's missing. She's gone. They don't know where she's at. Like, completely missing. Just picture that. Picture the person that you love. Picture that face. Maybe it, it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. But picture that person. They're, they're gone. How frantic you would be. Hosea is searching everywhere. 
And then he finds her. She's been captured by what basically would be like pimps of her age. She's on an auction block. And she's an ugly sight. She bruised. She's been beaten. She's naked. She's humiliated. She has nothing. Absolutely nothing that she can bring to the table or the conversation. And the, big, the bidding starts to begin. Can you imagine the scene in your mind as the bidding goes five? Who's going to give me five? Ten. Who will give me ten? Fifteen. And that's when Hosea throws up his arms and he shouts out, I'll give everything I have. The gavel falls, paid in full. We're Gomer. You and I, we... We're the unfaithful one who sinned. We are on the auction block. We are an ugly sight, bruised, beaten, naked, humiliated. We have absolutely nothing that we can bring. And before the bidding even started to begin, that's when Jesus Christ stretched out his arms on the cross and he shouted, I'll give everything I have. And we were paid in full. Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Submission shows we're satisfied in him. Now, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior because you didn't know what it meant. I hope today you have a better understanding. And today you can experience the most incredible independence you've ever experienced in your life through the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. That's my hope is that in these coming moments you surrender everything to him. And for those of you who are Christians, this is that gut check question. Have you started to drift? Have you started to live the way of Peter instead of the way of the cross? The way of the cross is going to call us to this place of submission. Submission to our Heavenly Father, submission to one another. This incredible voluntary yielding of our lives. Lord, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word, for the for the testimony that the gates of hell won't stand against, that you are the Lord. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the entire world. Lord, we thank you from that day to this day, lives continue to be transformed from that truth. That truth that we can surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so... If there's anyone here who hasn't or anyone watching online who hasn't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, God, I pray that in the freedom of this moment, they throw their arms up and they declare it's to Jesus that I surrender. I'm not turning back. I'm placing my faith in what Jesus has done, not in what I can do. And the fact that he lived and died and he lived again. That he came not just to take away the sins of the world, but to take away my sins. To rescue me from that auction block. And Lord, for my brothers or sisters in this room who maybe they have started to drift, we thank you for patience. We thank you for the grace that you've given us. That you have given us the opportunity this morning to realign our lives with yours. Lord, this is hard work. 
I think the reason you drew me to this particular message is of all the disciplines, this is the one that I keep coming back to in my life and I have to keep battling against on a daily basis. So Lord, continue to show us what it means to submit to you, to bring honor and glory to you by the way that we submit to you and to each other. Lord, I want so badly for my life to be a beautiful reflection of your gospel. For us as a church family to wonderfully reflect this high calling that you've given to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.